Today's reading is from John chapter 4, verses 16 to 26. Jesus said to her, go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, you are right in saying I have no husband, for you have had five husbands and the one you now have is not your husband. What you have said is true. The woman said to him, sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say that in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to her, woman, believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the father in spirit and truth. For the father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Good morning, everyone. Today, we're looking at one verse from John's Gospel. In fact, it's just one sentence that Jesus said 2,000 years ago to the Samaritan woman who we were introduced to last week. And yet in this one sentence, Jesus is going to show us the reason we exist, the, the heart of Christianity, and how to enjoy both those things. He's going to be talking to us about worship. And in fact, this sentence is so far reaching that it's going to mean that we have to work really hard today. So can I encourage you, if you're one of uh, someone that belongs to one of the children's groups or, or youth groups, if you're a, an explorer, a pathfinder, or a spectrumite, and you're listening, to work really hard along with the adults to to get to know what Jesus is saying here, to understand what he's saying. Now, while that's a bit of a challenge, can I also give you the flip side encouragement? That is that because what Jesus is saying now is so big, actually, if we just understand one bit of it, it won't just benefit us now, it will actually benefit us for all eternity. Pretty cool, hey? So let's get into it. Let's read this verse. John chapter 4, verse 23. Here it is. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. The first thing that Jesus teaches us about worship is that we are to be worshippers. That's what it says at the start. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship. Or at the end of the verse, the Father is seeking people to worship him. We are to be worshippers. In fact, that's God's plan for us. But we, before we think more about that, can we just try and define what worship is? Uh, it's not a particularly scientific definition, but 
It's basically how we respond to God. Not responding to him as equals. Not like we would respond to someone that we met in the street before coronavirus and the lockdown with a a handshake or a hug or a fist pump. No, we don't respond to God as equals because we were made for God. God wasn't made for us. In fact, the word worship means to bow. So to worship God, to respond to him rightly, is to, with all of our heart, mind, body and soul, it's to to bow before him, saying with awe and wonder and gratitude and love, you are God and you are good. It's to kneel before him in all of our lives, saying, you are God and you are good. And that has been God's plan for people, well, always. Way back at the beginning in the Garden of Eden, God made Adam and Eve that they might be whole of life worshippers of him. When we look in the book of Revelation, one of the last pictures we get of the future of humanity is a people gathered from every tribe, tongue and nation around God's throne, praising him. And Jesus tells us here in this verse that it's God's plan for us now to be worshippers. The hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship. We are to be worshippers. Now, I wonder, or I don't think that that's the word we often choose to describe what it means to be a Christian. In fact, if I was to ask you now, what one word or phrase would you use to describe what it means to be a Christian? How about that? Take five seconds, turn to the person next to you, or if you're um, watching this on your own, just say it out loud. What word or phrase would you use to describe what it is to be a Christian? A Christian. Go. Well, I imagine there were lots of really good answers. Things like disciple of Jesus, uh, disciple making disciple, uh, loved by God, saved by grace. All sorts of really good things. But I think that not many of us would have said worshipper. And yet God is seeking People to worship him. People to, in the whole of their lives, kneel and say, you are God and you are good. And I have a suspicion about why that is. I think it's because we're nervous that if we were to give our whole lives in worship to God, bowing down, saying you are God and you are good, we're nervous that we might somehow become less. We might be diminished, we might lose out somehow. And that would be a really serious and important concern if the God that we were worshipping was a God that wanted to consume us, a God that wanted to master us, or was so greedy to take from us. But that isn't the God that's been revealed to us in John's Gospel, is it? Do you remember when Jesus turned water into wine at the wedding at Cana? What was he doing? 
He was inviting us to come. He was inviting people from every tribe, tongue and nation to come to God's future wedding banquet where all of his blessings, all of God's blessings would be poured out upon the people. And there would be no more sin, sickness, death, no more injustice. Or even in this conversation that Jesus has had with the Samaritan woman, he said to her, come and drink living water. And you will find that there is a a fountain of water that's welling up inside you. He's inviting her to come and drink from God himself. The overflowing fountain of love and light and goodness. You see, as we come to worship God, we won't be made any less. We'll find That it's what we were made for. Now if you wouldn't call yourself a Christian at the moment. You're just looking in at these things. Can I say something to you that's quite bold? Jesus thinks that you were made to worship too. That's why you exist. Uh, There's a great North African theologian called um, Augustine who hadn't been a Christian for most of his life and then became a worshipper of God. And he said that we are always restless until we find our rest in God, until we come to be worshippers. Can I encourage you that I think that's probably true of you? Can I encourage you to, to come and take a look at the God who calls you to worship him? Maybe you'd like to do that by doing a one of our online Christianity Explored courses, or just getting in touch with the church with an email so that we can talk to you more about it, or phoning a friend who knows Jesus so that you can talk to them. You see, whoever we are, we were made to be worshippers. The first thing we learnt from Jesus about worship is that we are to be worshippers. He's now going to teach us who it is that we are to worship. And the answer is that we are to worship the Father of Jesus. Now, people worship all sorts of gods. Muslims worship Allah, Hindus worship Shiva. And you'll hear it said really regularly in our world that it doesn't matter who you worship because they're all the same. That's what my barber says. Or maybe you've been in an RS lesson where where it's been said something like this, because Christians, Jews and Muslims are all Abrahamic faiths, they must worship the same God. Well, here's one from a local primary school. I just finished giving an assembly where I'd explained the difference between knowing about Jesus, things like he was born in Bethlehem, and knowing him personally. And immediately afterwards, a teacher stood up. And she said, children, it doesn't matter who you believe in, because in the end, they're all one. The thing is, Jesus says it really does matter. Jesus would say to that, to my barber, you're mistaken. He'd say to that RS class, this is wrong. And he'd say to that teacher, it really matters. He'd say this, true worshippers will worship 
the Father. Not any old God. Not they're all the same. Not they're all one. No. True worshippers will worship the Father. So who is the Father? Who's Jesus talking about? Well, every father, to be a father, has to have a child. And that's true with God the Father. God the Father has a son, God the Son. And the Bible teaches us that God the Son has become a human. At the start of John's Gospel, we hear that the word who was God and was with God in the beginning has put on flesh, has become flesh. and He is Jesus. In John chapter 5, the very next chapter, Jesus emphatically, really clearly teaches us that he is the son and he is God. He says things like this. I, the son, do the same work that God the father does because they're both God. He goes on to say, talking about himself, that if you don't honour the Son, then you don't honour the Father who sent him. Or how about this one? He says, God the Father has life in and of himself, overflowing life, because he's the source of all life, because he's God. And he says that the Father has granted the Son, Jesus, to have life in and of himself, overflowing from him, because he's God too, so that he can give eternal life to anyone. In Jesus, we meet God the Son, and he reveals to us God the Father. And so we meet the God of the Bible, who's shown to us as one God in three persons, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. This is who Jesus says we should worship and no one else. Now I imagine the teacher from that assembly (coughs) would have said, if she'd heard this, aren't you being quite quite picky, quite exclusive, quite narrow-minded when you say that? And of course the answer is, Yes, we are being exclusive, but that's a good thing. You see, we're exclusive in all sorts of relationships, and we think it's really good and important to do so. Let me give you a silly example. Imagine if she'd asked me, Nick, are you married? And I said to her, yeah, I'm married. And she said, who are you married to? And I said, oh, I don't want to be too exclusive or picky, so I don't really care because all women are just the same. Would be ridiculous. That would be such a stupid thing to say. She'd look at me like I was an idiot. You see, in a marriage, it's really important to be exclusive, to only treat one person as your wife, to know them and love them and know who isn't so that you don't treat them as your wife. It's obvious, isn't it? And yet, it's so much more important in a worship relationship to get that right. Jesus tells us true worshippers will worship the Father, the God of the Bible. And so that means, according to Jesus, our Muslim friends who we really love are wrong about who they worship. Because they say Allah does not beget and is not begotten. 
our Jewish friends who meet down the road in the synagogue, who we really care about. They're wrong about who they worship because they do not worship the father of the son. Jesus says true worshippers will worship the Father. Now let's move on to the third thing Jesus teaches us. And that's how we're to worship. And the answer to that one is that we are to worship in spirit and in truth. Now that's, that's well, really complicated and there's loads and loads that could be said about it. So. I'm not going to say it all. I couldn't. If you want to hear a bit more, then do tune in to this evening's sermon with Ed. But but let me tell you two things that it's not. And then two things that at least it must be. So to start with, the first thing that it's not, to worship in spirit. It, It doesn't mean that it's just some sort of internal spiritual, my soul connected to God thing that's not connected to the rest of life. You see, true spiritual worship has always been a whole of life thing. When God's people used to go to worship him in the temple with their sacrifices, sometimes he would say that those sacrifices were disgusting to him. Not because they'd done anything wrong with the sacrifice. But because in the rest of their lives, they'd been cheating at the market and cheating in the bedroom. True spiritual worship is a whole of life worship, head, heart, body, soul. And so God is concerned. God the Father is concerned for our worship that it wouldn't just be about the spiritual things. Do we do our quiet times? Are we praying enough? Do we attend church? True spiritual worship will also be concerned with what we do at our desk and what we do behind our front door. The second thing that spiritual worship is not is is something simply external or, or something that's just based in ritual, in what we just do. You see, the woman of Samaria has asked Jesus just a couple of verses before, should we worship at the mountain that my people worship at, Mount Gerasim? Or should we worship where your people worship at, in Jerusalem? And Jesus says, well, actually, in time, neither will matter. Neither. Because ever since Jesus' death, resurrection and ascension, he's got rid of the need for any geographical location, any special place to do worship, even our own church buildings. Do you remember from a couple of weeks ago when Jesus cleansed the temple, he said, if you destroy this temple, speaking about his own body, I'll raise it up again in three days. And that's what he did. No longer Do we have to meet God in a specific location? Instead, we meet God the Father as we meet God the Son. God with us. And that's amazing news for us, isn't it? That's really brilliant news for us, particularly as at the moment we we have to gather 
virtually. So right now, people are sat in their, their living rooms, in their kitchens. Some of us are in our pyjamas, probably. And yet our worship of God is still completely legitimate because we meet God the Father in the person of Jesus, his son. That's amazing. That means all of our worship, even now, is completely legitimate. So let's take it really seriously. Let's sing up in the songs. Let's engage our hearts with the words. Let's make every effort to gather together, even if it's not what we'd wish to be physically gathered together. Now, here are two things that spirit and truth, worshipping in spirit and truth must mean. Worshipping in spirit must at least mean what Jesus said to Nicodemus in John chapter 3. That is that to worship God, it must be a, a spiritual thing. It can't just be a physical thing, uh, something that we can work up on our own. We need God's spirit to come and help us. The spirit of life to give us worshipful lives in all of life. That's what we need. And so it's really important that we would be praying. Are we praying that God would help us to worship him? It was a common thing in old services to pray a prayer like this, quoting Psalm 51. Lord, open our lips that we might declare your praise. What a good thing that would be for us to do as families or on our own at home every Sunday, that we might worship God, that his spirit might help us to meet the Father in the Son. And here's the last thing, spirit and truth. What must truth mean at the very least? Well, in John's gospel, the word truth comes up again and again, and it really means who God is and what he's done. It's kind of shorthand for that. So it's the truth that will set us free. We'll be sanctified in the truth. The spirit of God will lead us into truth. So we need to worship in the light of who God is and what he's done. Let me explain what I mean. Who's God been revealed to be? What's he been revealed to have done? Well, he's God the Father who loves us so much that he sent his son to take on flesh so that he might become the lamb of God, dying for the sins of people like you and me, so that we might be born again by the spirit and become children of God, enjoying all of his blessings now and forever. That's who God is and what he's done. And when I get to grips with that truth, when I think about it, I realise that I want to worship that God. I realise that I want to kneel before him and say, you are God and you are good and I'm glad that I worship you and you, are, you deserve it all. At the very least, that's what it is, to worship in spirit and in truth. This one sentence spoken to a Samaritan woman 2,000 years ago has taught us why we, why we exist, to worship God. The very heart of Christianity, to worship God the Father in the Son by the power of the Spirit with 
all of our lives. It's an amazing thing to do. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thank you that you have made us to worship you and that in worshipping you, we do not become less. We become the very people you made us to be. Father, thank you that you are worthy of worship and that you've demonstrated that to us in the sending of your son to die, that we might be born again by the spirit and live all of life, heart, mind, body and soul in worship to you. Father, please help us to do this in every area of our lives. Amen.